Father, we stand before you, and we're so grateful for the gift of your word. So plant your word in our hearts as a living witness of your love for the world that we may bear witness to others in your name. Change us, Lord Jesus, turning our hearts toward you more and more that in all things and in every circumstance, your word may come forth. These things, O oh Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good afternoon. It's 5.30 afternoon. It is somewhere anyway. It's great to be with you. My name is Keith Andrews. I'm um, just delighted to be with you tonight. And um, what a lovely evening and uh, only improved by how lovely you are. It's uh, really a joy to, um, to gather and worship, to um, sort of allow my eyes to rest upon the bride of Christ and to acknowledge um, every grace and mercy that he has extended toward us in these days. I bring greetings from the Diocese of Western Anglicans. That's not really an organization. If you knew us very well, you'd, I wouldn't have to say that. Not very organized, as, as I, I say. Um, but a um, lot of love in the family, and you're part of a loving family in Christ. Uh, many of your leaders were with us at the cathedral yesterday, and uh, we are hearing the uh, practical outworking of the um, of, of the gospel as it as it rests in human beings, and um, it, it was really a joy. We had um, we had a, a Jenny Noyes from New Wineskins from North Carolina. She came out for that, and we had uh, Father Jens Notstad and Ben Williams, who is a catechist in Chicago area, a diocese of Chicago. So we had friends from even farther away. And my hope is that um, you won't just hear me tell you about the travelogue, but you, you'll, you'll hear from your leaders who were uh, part of that experience. Um, today, uh, I'm going to find myself uh, really concentrating on the Deuteronomy 5 narrative and the 2 Corinthians 4 narrative for the most, but kind of wash it through uh, the gospel today. Um, but I don't presume that just because you heard it, you remember what you heard. So Deuteronomy 5 really has to do with, with the Ten Commandments. It's the Deuteronomist's um, way of um, putting that back into the hearts and minds of people uh, centuries after the Exodus itself, uh, time of Sinai. Um, in regard to 2 Corinthians, uh, it's, it's, it's about embodying that which we receive and how that is embodied and on, on, on whose terms that's embodied. So um, I hope that I, um, that I give the Lord Jesus a chance to strum your heart strings. Um, my sense, you see, of what the Lord wants to do in and through his word is to uh, revive us, uh, renew us, restore us, um, reframe us. Yeah. But do the work of uh, the Spirit. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm hoping and praying that, that you will receive something here today that you can identify and name as you carry it into the streets of La Mirada and wherever else uh, that, you may, that you may live and work. 
So let, let me begin with Psalm 81. I, I don't know who chose that tune. That, it's just hauntingly beautiful. Uh, I've read the scripture multiple times um, in preparation for today, and I'm just struck by, by how beautiful um, that is. So hear my people while I admonish you, the Lord says. Psalm 81, verse 8. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And that image of walking really is about embodying the things of God, that, that, that we have a, a, an ability to embody, embody the very life that is in the living God. And, and so, oh, that my people would listen to me, would hear, internalize the word of God, that, that Israel would walk. It would be obvious that, that, that Israel would be God's people, those who were delivered, um, and their manner of life would be evident to the world. So, in Deuteronomy 5, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to think about. I, I know it might not be proper for you to respond, so, so I, I'm just going to, uh, going to ask that you would think about it. When you look at the commandments, uh, which commandment do you find easiest to fulfill? Maybe, maybe you don't have any problem with coveting. Maybe you don't bear a false witness. You don't say things publicly that, that are not true of another. Uh, maybe you're always honoring your parents. Maybe that's... Um, maybe you're keeping the Sabbath so regularly that, that you're, you're really rested in the Lord. What, what do you find the most easy, the least difficult, if you will? not asking for a false righteousness. I'm just giving you an opportunity to reflect while I um, meander here a minute and give you a chance. Well, what would happen if you took seriously those Ten Commandments right now, right here, uh, right in the presence of God, and you just considered, okay, God, you've already done enough in my life that I can see that I've learned how to follow you. I've learned how to obey such that I can see this is your fruit in my life. I, I, I want you to be able to celebrate that. that that's, that. That's a testimony of the Lord's work in your life. So, you have it? Everybody got one? Some do? Yeah, nodding heads. How about over here on this side? You got one? Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you the other question now. What's the hardest one? What's the one that's easy for you? Now, Americans are so critical, you know, we... We, we are so evaluative as a culture anyway, but, but it's easy to nitpick ourselves, other people. So this will be the easier one for you. What's, what's the one that you trip up on every time? Every time, you know, oh, I did it again. What, which, one, which one for you is that one? So go ahead and think about it. And... Got it yet? Father Steve has it. Anybody else? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, uh, the, the, the hope in asking you the question is to, is to allow uh, the word of the Lord, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, to actually 
cut right to the matter in your life, the core spiritual issue that you face every day. And that's what's wonderful about the Lord is that even when we're in public, that when we're in an environment such as this, that the Lord is very incisive. He comes right to the matter. Now, you might hear me confess a little bit to you tonight, um, and that's just because I want you to know that I'm a work in progress. And if that gives you any encouragement, then be encouraged. The Ten Commandments are rooted, in my view, in this verse. And this verse is Psalm 81, verse 10a. I am the Lord you God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The I am of God defines the people of God. And these people were enslaved until they were set free. But enslaved or free, God's people look to him who sets them free for his purposes and not their own. Ultimately, coming to freedom is coming to know the one to whom we belong. We describe that in terms of family, and we, try, we des- describe that in terms of ownership. The most challenging commandment, and the one that perhaps lies at the foundation of all the others, again, my view here, is this. It's Deuteronomy 5.7, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the one I have trouble with, and I have trouble with it a lot. Um, And I'm going to actually do what I'm going to ask you all to do this week. For us who have known and followed the Lord Jesus, and I have for a long time, this plays out not primarily in the notorious evil that we contemplate. Neither does it play out in the pure depravity that we might act out but in the way that we make good things our God. For years and years and years, and probably it was because I had access to a pulpit, I said, God is not spelled with two O's. When faced with the spiritual challenge, have you not thought of a way around it? When God really says to you, look, I have business with you, have you not thought, how do I, how do I, is there any way, is there any other way? Again, maybe it's just me, but my sense is that you might have thought that once or twice. When faced with an important decision, have you not relied on your own knowledge? or on your intellectual capacity rather than humbling yourself before him and saying, Lord, you tell me. Let me hear from you on this. Or when given an opportunity to sacrifice time or energy or money for the Lord, have you not justified yourself in your decision to sidestep sidestep the risk that comes with it? I've done all these three. And there's other questions I could ask you, but they're not meant to be rhetorical. They're meant to focus us on the issue. And what's the issue? Well, 
Why do we have these Ten Commandments anyway? I remember a conversation with um, several Christian friends. Um, it was a few years ago now, and, and many of us had just returned from Rwanda. We had visited genocide sites, and we were, we were uh, really raw, spiritually raw from standing in one genocide site after another, viewing bones and bodies and skulls and bones, um, all kinds of bones literally on racks inside buildings. We, we, in buildings where there was blood-stained and machine-gunned walls and altar, stained altar linens. And when we were having the conversation, um, many of us were thinking, well, this, this just couldn't happen in our country. This just wouldn't happen. We, we just wouldn't allow it. We just wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't openly cut people up and shoot people. But I don't think any of us imagine what was going on in our high schools and elementary schools that could happen in the decade that, fo that followed. It's amazing. It's utterly amazing. What we thought, you see, is that we just had matured or become a better version of humanity than those who might live in another land. And there was a missionary in our midst listening very quietly to the conversation. And this woman suggested that if you strip away our conveniences, if we have no access to jobs or education, if medical care is beyond us, if we don't have government assistance in the way that we have, do we really think our civility would hold up? The purpose of the Ten Commandments is not designed to point to our righteousness, but instead to remind us of our abject and daily need for God's grace. To believe, simply to keep believing, keep hoping, keep praising, keep learning, keep working. And then to act according to God's word. So here's the first stopping point today in the message. Would you be willing to take on an assignment, a spiritual assignment from a stranger you don't know very well? But you can ask Father Greg if I'm okay. But be open to the Lord and do this. Read Deuteronomy 5 twice a day for the next seven days. Just read it. Just listen. Just invite the Spirit to probe you, to deal with the condition of your heart and your willingness to live according to the God of our salvation. And what you'll discover is the true condition of your heart, while at the same time you'll receive instruction from the one who knows you best about how to shape your heart around his.
Would any of you take the assignment? I'm going to do it myself. Would you join me? Yeah. Okay. So Jesus, when he was walking through that field that we just heard this gospel read by Father Steve, he confronted those who would misunderstand and misuse the Ten Commandments. The spiritual help that's available in these commandments was somehow lost on those who purported to lead others. And so this law, this Mosaic law, declared that on the Sabbath, it was against the law to work. And harvesting grain was defined as work. Now, it, it, it occurred to me that, I mean, I understand how someone can get there, but you don't just get there easily. So let, let's just imagine Jesus is walking along into this field, and he's got his, his disciples with him, and, and he knows that he wants to talk about the fruitfulness of the harvest. And, and so he's plucking a grain, not only to speak about, but to taste. And his disciples are doing the same. Now work in, in, in a Hebraic understanding is about the thing you do in order to generate income. So, so when we rest from labor, it's resting from those things that, that we would otherwise do in response to our need for resources. And it was not what Jesus was doing. He was, he was walking them into the kingdom life of a living God. And it was plucking from the wheat something that they might taste and remember. Not just the concept, but to link it with an everyday experience of life. So, the spirit of the law led those who follow the law to build people on a day of resting from labor. Rest is actually a construction site where we give space to the Lord to work in and among and through us. Time for family nurture, time for uh, pulling back from the to-do list. But rigid application of the fourth commandment missed the point of what it was designed to do. It was meant for rest and reflection on this amazing and wonderful God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. At the end of that reading, remember there's all those words in there about Sabbath. Why? Because so many of us have, have difficulty with this, and we have for centuries. But at the end of that thing is that remember the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. That's its point. How do we remember him if we're busy with something else? That was the, the thing that Jesus understood about this that the Pharisees did not. 
So the commandment served a purpose, and that was to edify God's people, literally to build us in kingdom life and understanding because we pushed ourselves back from the list of things that we had to do. It was not designed to enslave them once again. Now, this is not to say that we discount the importance of keeping the commandments. They're vital. But we recognize that they are an expression that is a gift from a loving and merciful God to his people, and he desires that his people reflect him. Present him, if you will, to the world and all they are and all that they do. Not because they're overly busy, not because they're overly um, focused on their own righteousness, quite the reverse. But they let Jesus make a testimony through them. In contrast to the Pharisees, Paul declares, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul tells his friends in Corinth, he said, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's pointing them, and if we listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, he's pointing us as well to the work of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing, unfolding expression of Jesus in our lives. This third person of the Trinity, who was co-equal with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is given us in baptism. It's released in confirmation to fully endow God's people with his presence. So that we may be made like him. Now Jesus promised the comforter in John 14. Because the comforter actually encouraged and exhorts the believer daily to take on the character of Jesus. Friends, if I am not immersed in the word of God, then then I think my life is mine. I know better intellectually and theologically, but in practical terms... I'm I'm laying claim to it. My time, my family, my life, my whatever. So the Spirit of God living in me, I pray living in you, is the worker exhorting, encouraging you always to point and lean into the Lord Jesus himself. So that God's people living in Jesus and living for Jesus and living by Jesus becomes our way of life. And it is impossible when the core of our character resists him. Effectively refusing to subordinate our will to his will. So Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, having this ministry, that, what is it? What is his ministry? The Spirit of God working itself out as it works itself into him. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul himself is strengthened by the daily and moment-by-moment encouragement of the Lord to be transformed inwardly and outwardly, admitting that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Suffering, yes. 
afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, yes, but not forsaken, struck down, yes, but not destroyed. So what is the Spirit doing? Paul says this, if we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You will find all the time people around you, maybe not in your classes or in your, 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 your um, uh, collegial environment where Christians uh, are together, but move beyond that and you will find people describing what life is about. But what they say may deviate significantly from what the testimony of the word written offers us. But for us, who are Christ for the world? We are continually being led by the Holy Spirit to surrender every mortal interest in fashioning a false God which can only bring us momentary pleasure so that by trusting in Jesus, he manifests the heart of the Father in our mortal flesh. And this is the testimony we give to the world. This is the fruit of true worship and pure service. So when you are tempted to believe that the Lord is no longer near you or somehow indifferent to you, remember that his I love you may just come to you with my son, my daughter. You have no other gods before me. So open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that you are at work and utterly present in this place. And we thank you that you can speak and will speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear you. tenderize our hearts toward you that that we might long to be the kind of people who receive your word that we embody you in our mortal flesh Lord Jesus help us to trust you and love you enough 
to give you every freedom to present yourself through us to the world that you love so much. Use us, Lord Jesus. Why not us? Use us. That many more may come to know you as the way and the truth and the life. In your holy name, we pray.